Hello and welcome to our Reflections for Sunday the 6th of March from Black Horse Road Baptist Church with me, Naaman. Well done for making it through this week. I hope that you are doing okay. I heard just the other day uh, an old pop song from Candy Statton called You Got the Love. And in it she sings about sometimes finding life too much, almost too much. But says that she holds on and is reminded that my saviour's love is real and then sings you got the love i need to see me through reminds me of romans chapter 8 and verses 35 following who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as you listen to this, I hope that if you get nothing else out of this, then a simple thing you can remember and say, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's pray together, shall we? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come humbly to you this morning to offer our praise and worship for your love, care, and faithfulness. Lord, we pray for all those who are, wherever they are, gathered to worship and honor you. We thank you for all those, all the things you have provided for us, warmth, food, clothing, shelter, friends, family, and loved ones. We ask your forgiveness for those times when we fail to put you first in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the healing you have given to those who have been ill and for the comfort to those who have been bereaved. Lord, you are faithful. You can do all things. We ask this morning that you protect those who are affected by the war and still the hands of the oppressors and bring compassion to their hearts. Lord, we have your promise that you would be with us in the dark times and that you are faithful. Be with us all, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Veronica. For the last few weeks, our Sunday morning themes have been around the I am sayings of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them in total, and today we come to the final one, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's from John chapter 15. And Rebecca is going to read a few verses for us. John 15 verses 1 to 6 I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. This saying of Jesus, I am the true vine, is the final one of the seven I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I wonder if you can remember what the other six are. We've looked at them over the last few weeks. As a reminder, in saying I am, Jesus is adopting the language used by God in the book of Exodus when he talks to Moses to describe himself. Jesus is therefore making an extraordinary claim about himself when he says this. He's also making extraordinary claims about himself in each of the seven sayings as well because he adopts Old Testament ideas and applies them to himself. He's the bread of life the manna in the desert that God used to feed the people of Israel. He's the light of the world, the pillar of fire that led the people of Israel through the wilderness. He's the good shepherd who guides his sheep to still waters and refreshes their soul. Jesus is taking these things and applying them to himself. And then he does that for us today as well. He's the bread of life who satisfies and fills our spiritual needs. He's the light of the world who illuminates our spiritual darkness. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. So when he says, I am the true vine, what does he mean? It's the night before his death. Jesus and his disciples have probably left the room that they'd been in, where Jesus had washed his followers' feet and where they'd eaten together their last supper. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane outside of Jerusalem. And perhaps as they're walking through Jerusalem, they see some vines or maybe they pass the temple and they notice on the temple the massive golden engraving of a vine that is at the entrance. And Jesus seizes the moment and says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. We may not have seen many grapevines, but we're probably all familiar with the general concept of how plants work. There's a trunk or a stem that has roots which go down into the ground and coming from the trunk are branches. Growing out of the branches are fruit, in this case grapes. The branches can't produce any fruit by themselves. If you cut a branch from the trunk, then the grapes don't grow and the branch dies. Jesus says he's the grapevine. Those who trust in him are branches and the fruit is the way that they live their lives. In Jesus saying that he's the true vine, he's alluding to another Old Testament theme. There are some passages in the Old Testament that talk about the people of Israel as being like a vine. One is Psalm 80 and another example is Isaiah 5. Now, because of the Old Testament background, the vine had become an important symbol in Israel. In fact, when the Israelites revolted against Roman rule a few years after the time of Jesus, they minted coins with the image of a vine on them. Let me just sum up briefly, though, what Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5 say. They talk about a gardener who takes a cutting of a vine from Egypt, so clearly a reference to the Israelites being rescued by God from slavery in Egypt, and this gardener plants his vine in a new land. He then takes a fertile plot of land on a gently sloping hillside and creates a lush green vineyard. 
When the harvest time comes, however, he is dismayed, because he finds that his vines have only produced bad grapes, and that they are unfit for use. Why has there been such an extreme crop failure? The gardener concludes that there must be something in the vines. They can't produce good fruit, and so it must be left until it reverts back to wasteland. The divine gardener, in the words of Isaiah, looked for justice but saw just bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. God's gardening must produce people who are right with him and then who are also fair with others. Isaiah makes clear that this is about the vineyard of the Lord Almighty, that is the nation of Israel and the people of it, and Judah are the vines that he is delighted in. So Israel, like a grapevine, was meant to be fruitful, bearing fruit to bless others. Israel was meant to show the nations around them how good it was to live in relationship with God. But Israel failed to do this at many points in their history. They chose to turn away from their relationship with God, to worship idols made from wood and metal. And at other times they kept God's blessing strictly to themselves, refusing to share it with others. Despite all of God's generosity and care, the people of Israel did not give and produce the fruit that God the gardener desired. And so he starts over again with a single obedient shoot. Psalm 80 verse 17 says, Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man that you have raised up for yourself. This is the hope of the psalm, that once this man comes, he will be true and faithful, and the people will be able to return to God, and they will know God's favour again. You might recognise that title, the Son of Man. It is against this backdrop that on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I am the true vine. This means that he's saying that Israel was not the true vine who bring forth a true harvest, but what the people of Israel were meant to be, Jesus really is. This would be shocking for the people listening to him because previously they thought they were God's chosen people. To be part of the people of Israel was to belong to God. You had a connection with God and you were his special representatives on earth. And, and that was through being born into the people of God or through coming in and taking part in ceremonies such as circumcision to join the people of God. But now Jesus is saying that he is God's chosen one and it's only by being connected to him that you can live the kind of good life that God calls you to live. And this means that it's only through him that you can live as God's representative on earth and bear the kind of fruit that he desires that you produce. And I'd suggest that maybe that's a bit shocking for us today as well, because it means that for us, Jesus is claiming to be the only source of life for the good life. He's saying, if you trust in me, then you'll be connected to God. You will have the source of life and you'll be able to produce good fruit in your life and you'll be able to live the good life. Not in terms of a good house, nice car, great job, sending your kids to the best schools and affording brilliant holidays. Not that kind of good life, but a life that is lived well, that is meaningful and that is a blessing to those around us. And it's only through trusting in him that we're able to live that kind of life, Jesus says. If we're cut off from him, then we're like a branch cut off from its vine and we can't actually produce good fruit. People often look to other things to be sources of life and to try to produce good fruit in our lives. I wonder what 
are the kind of things that we can be tempted to turn to instead of Jesus. According to what Jesus says here, if we want to be connected to God, then we must remain in Jesus. Remain in me is something Jesus says several times in this passage. Some translations use the word abide. And what does that mean? I think very simply it means staying. When you move into a house or a flat, it becomes a home because you stay in it and it's filled with your presence. And in the same way, when we trust Jesus, we make our home in Jesus and he makes his home in us. We stay with Jesus and Jesus stays with us. But that probably doesn't quite do justice to the sense of intimacy and the depth of relationship that Jesus is talking about here. In the previous chapter, when Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to the Father and that he will send the Holy Spirit to them, he says, believe me when I say this, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's in John 14 and verse 11. He's talking about how close the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is. And then a bit later on, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, they, his disciples, will realise that I am in the Father And you are in me and I am in you. That means that the same kind of unity, intimacy and love that the father and son share is also shared by his disciples. And then when one disciple asks about other people in the world, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. John 14 and 23. Isn't this incredible? And the wonderfulness of this idea of remaining is that Jesus makes his home in us. We're bound to God through the love of Jesus who lays down his life for us and invites us into his shared love. The intimate relationship of father and son is just thrown open to anyone who trusts in Jesus and they are welcomed in. And this incredibly intimate language continues through the rest of the New Testament. The idea of the New Testament is that when you are a follower of Jesus, it means that you are in Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 is a good example. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. An old um, college lecturer of mine used this idea for this verse. He said to take one of your hands and hold out your thumb and say, this is your life. And now Put your thumb and close your fingers around your thumb so that you make a fist, but with your thumb inside and say, your life is now hidden with Christ. And then take your other hand and close that other hand over the whole of that fist. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then this in goes both ways. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, as an example of other verses, says Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's about participation and union. It's not participation like taking part simply in a group or club, like going to the local chess club or cricket club. But it's the organic union of a branch and a tree. The branch is in the tree and the life of the tree is in the branch and you can't separate them off. If you do, the branch dies. And this is an amazing thing that Jesus is saying here. There's this remaining love between the Father and the Son who've loved each other for all eternity. And Jesus comes to earth to invite us 
to be part of that love. Uh, one way he does it is by calling us friends, as he does a little bit later. And he says that a friend's lay down his friend lays down his life for those he loves, which is what he does for us. And he says to his disciples that he doesn't call them friends. Um, sorry, that he doesn't call them servants, but he calls them friends. A friend is someone who doesn't just hold you off at arm's length, but someone who invites you into their life and shares their life with you. And that's what God does with us. We are invited in and he shares his life with us. And that's why I think it's a bad idea when we start reducing this idea of remaining or abiding, as it's sometimes called, to talking about having our devotional times. We talk about making sure that we read our Bibles every day or that we spend time in prayer every day so that we are close to Jesus. And the implication is that we stay close to him in that way. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. We don't stay close to him by doing these things. It, it, it's much more than that, and we mustn't reduce it down to that. You cannot get any more connected to Jesus or closer to Jesus than you are when you trust him. And we need to receive his love and then to keep on trusting him. That's what it is to remain, is that every day we trust him. And then when we trust Jesus every day and live with him every day, our lives bear fruit. Grapes are good stuff, aren't they? They're sweet, but they're also healthy and nutritious. And you can use grapes just as grapes. You can dry them, you can have them as raisins, or they can be fermented and used as wine. You can have grapes in some form for breakfast, lunch and tea, or as a snack in the daytime, or you can enjoy them with your friends in the evening. And Jesus wants to produce good stuff in you. And what is that good stuff? Well, here are four suggestions. When we think about fruit in our lives as Christians, probably automatically, I reckon, we'll go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, and we will think of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These things are great, and we want to see more of that in our lives. But I think there's more. Here in John 15, Jesus talks about how remaining in him means loving him and obeying his commands, and that his commandment is that we should love one another. So perhaps that's part of the fruit as well. We obey Jesus, we live in a way that pleases him, and we grow in love for each other. But there's more too. Think back to Isaiah 5. Where God looked at his vineyard and looked for justice but saw, saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. God wants to see justice and righteousness in our lives in how we treat others. There should be an increase in a sense of wholeness and well-being in the lives of the people around us through how we live. We are called to be like the Good Samaritan. And there's more too, because the other, other way of fruit is... Fruit replicates itself. So when you think about fruit in nature, as it grows, it bears seeds and then those seeds then produce more plants. So fruit is about reproducing and growing and increasing. Jesus came to give himself. He came to invite others into the love of God. And so therefore, fruit in our lives will be that we reach out to others and share the love of God in our words and our deeds. On a grapevine, 
the branch that is connected to the vine bears fruit because it is connected to the source of life. It gets water in the nutrient and the nutrients that it needs. And then the fruit comes naturally out of that. It's the same with us when we're connected to Jesus, when we trust him. He's the source of life. And in due course, the fruit will continue to grow. Jesus also talks about branches that don't stay connected. And he said that these branches bear no fruit. A branch separated from the source of life can't produce fruit no matter how hard it tries to. And if we're not connected to Jesus, we can't produce the fruit where we grow in love, patience, kindness, joyfulness, gentleness, peacefulness and self-control. And we need his love, his life, in order for us to be able to live for him in our world. And so every day we need to come to him and say, Lord, I trust you and I love you. And I receive your love for me. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus has given himself for us. And that through his life and love we are connected to the source of life. And that is where we find our strength. And power to live every day in a way that blesses others and honours him. Amen. Let's finish by saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God bless you.